Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. Hello, my name is Greg Monteith. And I'm John Polstra. And we're here to talk about... I, think, I, I do think the idea of coaching versus Christianity is a good one, or maybe coaching and Christianity. But we've been talking a little bit about, well, I guess you mentioned a couple weeks back, John, just sort of, I don't know, the, 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 the enthusiasm level relative to podcasting or the, I think you called it at one point, bringing the fire. The fire is not there as much, but the fire is really there when it comes to coaching and you are both a, you coach and you are coached, right? Correct. Yes. Yes. Okay. And part of, part of, in fact, for anyone out there that's thinking about looking for a coach or wants to be coached, I don't know that I would do coaching with someone that does not have their own coach. And that might sound, <laughs> might sound like a big pyramid scheme in the coaching industry, but it's typically the sign of a really good coach. But if they're looking to hire you, why would they have to have a different coach? No, the coach that you want to hire. Oh, I see now. I see, I see. So it's kind of like supervision or something sort of. Well, it's kind of the idea that that you are, we are all in the process of upping our game, uh, Mm. never done growing, have things to pursue and improve and, uh, mm-hmm. That we need outside perspectives from others, right? Right, right. Okay. No, that makes sense. I, I'm following you there. Um, so, I mean, we talked a little bit earlier, but I, I'm I'm interested in just going further with this whole idea that you're interested in coaching, and it's it's bringing a lot of um, maybe interest, enthusiasm. It keeps you going. Get uh, you know, makes you start thinking in the morning. It energizes you. Whereas Christianity right now is not doing those things. No. Okay. And my point, and the the thing that I think is really, really valuable about this is I believe, I, I believe very strongly that there are a lot of people in your position. They might be enthusiastic about baseball, about, um, their job, about, I don't know, their, um, hobbies, their summer projects, um, oh, and this know. is, <laughs> and this is like total favorite hobby horse of the Sunday morning servant sermon. How is it? How is it that your baseball is more important than God? Yeah, but I think I think that still comes out at the, the totally wrong way. Like, and, and I know you're going to pull the magic out on me when I say this, but I can't remember what episode it is. Cue for magic. John says episode. <laughs> 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 but when we talked about the Biola um, magazine article. Some ways back, I think this was episode oh, 54. The, the, well, you keep <laughs> this is the one, the one about biblical illiteracy. Yes, yeah, that's 54. And and so, I think part of the issue here is when you talk about this or refer to this as being a classic Sunday morning sermon topic, is we are the issue I take is mistaking symptoms for problems. So, it's a symptom, it would seem to me, of something. That certain- oh, that's that's very nuanced. So a symptom versus the real problem is that you place baseball over God versus 
that's just pointing to something deeper. Yeah. Why is it? Why is it that baseball is more interesting to you than God, or going to church yeah, like, on Sunday, I, or whatever the whatever the setup is? Yes. I mean, I don't think the Christian God is is interested in you not finding coaching to be thrilling, or finding somebody finding baseball, or their job, or their hobby, or their summer project, or how they um, volunteer their time. You know, some of these things can be just they can be really valuable. They're just cool. They're interesting, right? They they kind of grab us in different ways. But I think the the key part is trying to figure out, well, first of all, instead of chastising people for liking something, figure out why you like it. Mm. So that's where I'm kind of going with you. So, I mean, one of my earlier questions when we were talking just before was, you know, what's the value proposition for you in both cases? So in the one hand, being a coach, like coaching other people, and the other hand, being coached. So coaching and being coached. What are the value propositions? What do you get out of it? What's what keeps you coming back? Yeah, the underlying, and this is something that I've I've struggled with a little bit, and I've gotten clear on in mm-hmm. the midst of this uh, supervision certification phase that I'm in with my coaching. Mm-hmm. The core tenet of the the model it's called coactive coaching that I'm studying under. One of the mm-hmm. core tenets of the model is that you are coaching or being coached to be transformed as a person. Mm. In other words, it's not, and as I've been discussing this with some of my clients actually, that some, a lot of times a coach is seen as kind of an accountability partner, a, a coach, right. like maybe in the sports sense, you know, they're going to tell you, uh, you want to run a marathon, you know, you get, you hire a running coach so you can complete a marathon. They're going to tell you how many, you know, how many miles do you need to run a day or every week and what kind of food you need to eat? And, you know, maybe they're checking in every week with that clipboard to, you know, check the box or not check the box. So sort of a personal trainer thing. Yes. And, and so sometimes people f- come to coaching with the mindset of, oh, I want to be more productive. I want to be more disciplined. I just uh-huh. need someone that I answer to every week that's going to, you know, either give me an A or an F and that will motivate me and help me reach the goals that I want to reach. Mm -hmm. In a lot of cases, that can. But where it falls short is, if that's all it turns into, that's all it is, and it can be much bigger. So the overall goal is, okay, you've got this assignment that you're supposed to do for next week. Uh, I was explaining to someone just the other day. The, the goal isn't necessarily, did you complete it or not? You're a good person if you did, and you're really committed if you did complete the assignment, and you're a bad person, and you obviously mm. aren't committed enough if you didn't do the assignment. <sighs> right. It's often, and this has been from my project management, you know, kind of crack the whip, get things done, things have to happen, or there will be no progress, has been right. something that I've kind of struggled with and adapted to is the idea that, what are you learning from this? You had this assignment last week and it didn't get done. What'd you learn from that? Right. As opposed to, you didn't get this done. You bad person. How do we need to rearrange your schedule? And how, do you, how can we increase your discipline level so that you will do your assignment next week? Instead, right. it takes the approach of more like, why didn't you get it done? What happened? Oh, I was too busy and I did this and I did that. And what'd you learn from that? Well, I learned actually that I need to plan my time a little bit better. Mm-hmm. How do you want to do that? How can I help? How can mm-hmm. we, and so in going that level deeper, 
you're actually going for like a deeper level of transformation. You're kind of getting more at the root of the problem than checking the box as to whether you did it or not. And the, by the okay. root of the problem, I mean kind of the root cause so that you can transform the overall situation, the overall right. person. So the overall goal is that you're in this place currently and you see this place in the future that you want to get to or this, pe- this person that you want to evolve to be. And right. the overall process of it's, – it's usually not just one thing. It's kind of this overall process of being transformed so how how much do you think when you said uh, the real goal is what are you learning is is the real goal also kind of engaging really deeply with the question who do you want to be yes because ultimately it's about becoming that best version of yourself ah and this is oh gosh a whole nother tangent we could go down but i'll I'll save it because I want to loop back. You meant you. I think you originally asked. You know, what's the time with with coaching and Christianity? So the core tenet of coaching is transformation. The core tenet that I hear a lot of times from you of Christianity is transformation. If you set hmm. aside, if you set aside the core tenet of being, where do you want to spend eternity, heaven or hell? You need God if you want to go to heaven, and if you don't, then you're going to hell. Like if you set that aside, I often hear you, and I've heard others say, "Well, Christianity is all about you know being transformed too." Mm-hmm. Which I'd say, well, I'm sure seeing a heck of a lot more progress <laughs> in the coaching arena than I'm seeing in the God arena. Bam. That's huge. Okay. Well, I'm, just, I'm, I'm writing that down. That's, 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 that's massive, right? So you are looking for, and if you value personal transformation, if, right, that's, you wanna... if that's what Christianity is selling, or if that's what Greg's selling, that, you know, yeah, this is, this, is, this is personally transforming. And, you know, you've told several examples of like, this is personally transforming in my own life. And here's the story. Here's how it went down. Right. But, but it sounds like you value that too. Like you're, you're in coaching. It sounds like primarily because that's what's on offer and that's what you get. Yes. And it's, and it can be a long road, which I know you're going to use against me in the Christianity context. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's not usually, it's not necessarily overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked, I personally have done some coaching that was like super helpful and effective and mm-hmm. some that wasn't as effective and helpful. I still mm-hmm. got good things from it, but I also ended up in some places that in hindsight didn't take me to where I was going or where mm-hmm. I wanted to go. So I will not say that it's, that it's a perfect thing. I don't think that there's a perfect coach out there. I think mm-hmm. there's... I think there's better and worse coaches and there's better and worse compatibility between clients and coaches as well. Right. Okay. Well, what, what do you think when it's working, what does make coaching effective for personal transformation? One of the key components is complete Mm -hmm. lack of judgment, Ah. complete lack of judgment. So me as a coach, if I want to have a really, really horrible session with a client, the the best thing I can do is bring all of my own personal judgments in about about their situation, about their progress, <laughs> about what they want to do. 
<laughs> if I want to have the complete opposite experience in terms of helping them get to mm-hmm. where they want to go, mm-hmm. it's what do they think is best for them? Right. How do they want to handle this situation? They have, you know, three different forks in the road they can take here. Which one do they think is the best for them? We talk about it. They choose uh, the middle path. And I may be thinking to myself, you know, wow, if I was making this decision, stop right there. This is their decision. They know themselves better than anyone else. And I know people will question that, but the more I work in this work, the more I really feel like it has to be their decision. Because in, in terms of other parts of bad coaching, it's when the coach tries to make decisions or weighs in too much with their own opinion on like what the person wants to do. Right. Because the difference between a cult, a coach and say a consultant is that a coach is not necessarily there to give advice. Right. Okay. A coach is there to help give clarity and structure and guidance and tools and techniques to help the client like untangle or get clear on whatever it is they're struggling with or get clearer, more untangled on, okay, I've got this goal over here and I'm, I'm stuck here. I'm trying to make progress towards this thing. I keep getting blocked. Help me remove the block so I can get to this thing that I really want. So I think I went about three different directions there, but I, I started with judgment, which is, yeah, if there's any judgment on the coach's part about the client's decisions, abilities, any of that stuff, it quickly goes downhill. You just laid a ton of gold on the table as far as I'm concerned. This is amazing. So, All right, let's harvest some. Okay, so when you've got this idea of lack of judgment, what I read, if I, if I frame that positively, is full acceptance. Yes. Well, yes, right. because, and again, the, the coactive coaching model holds that the client is creative, resourceful, and whole. Mm-hmm. And I know I just set off a whole bunch of alarm bells there for people on the last one. Oh, but wait, we're fallen and sinful. Everyone is broken because of the fall and all that other stuff. And okay. what do you do with that? To be quite honestly, I'm not sure on some days, and I think I brought this up in a previous podcast. I've challenged some of the instructors on this. Right. I will say, though, that when you hold that perspective towards someone, it could be a client, it could be your spouse, it could be a friend, it changes a lot of stuff. <laughs> right. Because if I approach someone I'm working with with the perspective that they are whole, mm-hmm. they are not broken, and mm-hmm. therefore it is not my job to fix them. Wow. Right. And therefore, the, the, it sounds like the, your next your next point about um, the client is the one who's choosing as the client's ideas that the client can be responsible for themselves. You don't have to be responsible for that client. Absolutely. And that's where coaching often goes wrong. The coach says, oh, well, I really think you need to do this. And the client goes and does it and it doesn't work. Right. Where does that le- and then And then that leaves the coaching relationship kind of in this place of like, well, clients, like I took your advice and it didn't work. Now what? Mm-hmm, versus mm-hmm. the client, based on the discussion or whatever, decided, I really believe that based on all the information I have, this is the best course for me. Okay, right. didn't work. What did I learn? Versus I consulted the expert who was my coach, and they were wrong. Now I need to go find another coach. Right. Which is very nuanced, but but really does affect the dynamics of the interactions in the relationship. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember you mentioning these three tenants. Am I right about this? Uh, creative, uh, capable, and whole? Resourceful. Creative, resourceful, and whole. Okay. Your whole thing about being fallen and sinful. I mean, this is fascinating to me because what you're doing in, co- in coaching is essentially road testing some ideas. If we reflect this back into Christianity and say, how does it work out when we see ourselves as who people who are not Christians, let's say, um, as people who are completely fallen and sinful and, and they're, they're, they're completely incompetent? Well, the reality is that doesn't work because you see people doing stuff and making strides, making changes, making, you know, achieving certain things. And I think that that's just, it's road testing that shows that this whole thing doesn't work. It's interesting to me when we talked about creative, resourceful, and whole, and I think my response to that was, yeah, well, I would put put a word after each one of those, enough. They're hmm. creative enough. They're capable enough. They're whole enough, right? Because obviously if I was fully creative, fully capable, and fully resourceful, <laughs> I wouldn't probably be looking for a coach. <laughs> I'd have figured it out already. <laughs> And so it seems to me when we put ourselves in that, and so I, I'm not trying to steer. I'm just going to highlight. Yeah, I think that's a. Places. I think that's a. I think that's a fascinating distinction. Yeah. Okay. I, I, yeah. Because that seems to me to be like. So when I talked about, I think we're missing some of those moving parts, some of those hinges. That's maybe a hinge. That word enough. It seems to me, puts us both in the realm of, and being close enough. I, I would say that that's being within a biblical anthropology. So by anthropology, I mean basically a theory about what a human being is, right? And so if you think about that whole early Genesis perspective, that some things went radically wrong and some things go radically wrong for human beings, um, I think you can still hold that perspective. And also, I think, you know, your road testing here, going through coaching, seeing people be creative, be resourceful, and essentially be sufficiently whole to make some, you know, hey, they're making improvements. It's not like you, John, are the ultimate expert guiding everybody into exactly what they need to do. I mean, the whole model you set up, you mentioned here, isn't set up to do that. No, right? no. And I'm helping people in a variety of different, everything from find a new job to um, managing small businesses to some type of vocational redirection to, mm-hmm. yeah, it ranges the gamut. How do I, how do I interact in this really complicated situation at work? Yeah. All kinds of stuff. You know, when I take the three things that you said, so you said this lack of judgment, which I, I would translate as full acceptance. You talked about the client chooses, um, and you talk about the client having, they've got the best view of themselves. They've got the most knowledge of themselves, right? They're the most, they're the expert on themselves. When I take those three together, I come, two things strike me. One is this idea of this model is empowering people and this model helps people develop and, and, and it reveals their self-worth. And it helps the coach to do that in the most effective way. Because it kind of sets that up as the guidelines. Right. So the most effective way to kind of bring about this empowering and this sort of... This transformation. In other words, the transformation being kind of the ultimate goal. 
And I think I mentioned earlier, when this came up earlier in the program, I was grappling with this and I, I took it to, I questioned the instructors on it. And I also took it to my own coach and I was like, kind of, actually in the same way I'm doing with you. I said, I don't feel like I'm being transformed. Like the whole goal here is transformation. Like, and I think right. I, I, and I would, <laughs> I would also encourage anyone out there working with a coach. And even if it happens to me someday, if it's not working, you need to take it to your coach. Like if you're not getting what you want, if you came right. to work with this coach to get a certain outcome, and again, it's the outcome that you picked, not the one that the coach picked for you. If you're not getting that outcome or you don't feel like you're getting there, that's something you need to keep bringing up until you get like the clarity you need. So I brought it to my coach and I said, I feel like I'm being transformed here. I, I thought I was supposed to be transformed. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, fair enough. And they handled it with like such care and just like understanding, diplomacy, everything. They said, okay, so what I'm hearing from you is that you want me to turn up the heat. And I was uh -huh. like, whoa, whoa, wait, oh, whoa, yeah. <laughs> uh. They, they said, so you want me to really start turning up the fire in our sessions? And I was like, uh, let me get back to you on that. <laughs> so, and so I did. I mean, I had to kind of take a step back and say, because I'm very big on like, if I say I'm going to do something, or I'm committed to something, like it's one of my highest values that I follow through on that integrity. Mm -hmm. So I had to take a few days to say, okay, yeah, what do I really, if if the coach feels that like turning up the heat on like moving things forward and being more aggressive about moving forward is what's going to cause this transformation. Do I really want it? Right. And so we came back and we, another good part of a coaching relationship is you're constantly refining how that coaching relationship is working. Mm -hmm. So if, if someone wants a very detailed accountability from week to week, great, we can do that. If they want to do that on their own and they want different outcomes, we can do that too. So, so we came back and kind of rejiggered what I wanted to get out of coaching and how we were going to go about doing that. Mm -hmm. And then, mm -hmm. I don't know, six, seven weeks later, I'm in the middle of a really challenging situation. And, and I'm reflecting back to them in my last session saying, oh my gosh, like a new John is showing up in this situation in ways that I would have never thought he would have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. This doesn't feel very good necessarily, but it's also like doable. It doesn't feel so impossible. And wow, I think I'm being transformed. I have been transformed. Wow. And there's this constant tension or not tension, but there's this constant kind of funny back and forth where it's like transformed as in like kind of accomplished but I think like all of our lives, they're never totally accomplished and done mm -hmm. in terms of evolving into that better version of ourselves. You know, I can so much see why coaching is exciting for you. Tell me more. Uh, well, I'm excited to hear you talk about this. I think this is fantastic. And I really liked when I was pointing out, you know, I think that this, this kind of boils down to empowerment and self-valuing and like on the one hand, seeing that you are valuable anyways, and then valuing yourself as you should, that you pointed out, yeah, but coaching is also the most effective way to bring that about, right? It's effective. It works. And, and I think what, what excites me so much about what you're saying is, is I see some real parallels here, some really deep, deep parallels between what you're seeing, what you're valuing, 
and what is effective about coaching and what I see and what I value in Christianity and what I think can be effective depending upon how it's put out. That's the key part. <laughs> the, what, no, because as I you're talking, so. as you're talking, like I can just feel the anger and like the, you know how like you feel different emotions in your body? Yes. Like kind of typically anger is, I don't know, like kind of below your neck and between your chest, like somewhere in there. Like right. as you're talking about this whole like, uh, creative resourceful that all that stuff like I or um or that we're like I can just feel myself kind of getting angry like yeah but you know Christianity you know you can't trust yourself you're sinful you know left your own devices you'll make stupid decisions that's why you need God you know you have an important decision to make did you pray about it because if you didn't watch out. <laughs> You know I what I'm saying? Like I do, and I'm, like there's all this I, other I, stuff going on. So, so yeah, I can totally. Uh, I'm just being self-aware and speaking to it as it's happening. But yeah, I can see. Yeah, so go ahead. <laughs> no, no, that, that, and that's that's really valuable. Um, that whole sense of you know anger and frustration about that. This is a key example when when for me, if when when I'm talking about the integration of faith and belief and you know, biblical knowledge versus life experience, lived existence. This is this is one of those cases where these two have to speak back and forth to each other. And I don't know if I've ever said it this clearly on a podcast before, but when we have, as human beings, when we have, let's say, you know, one of the problems we've talked about before in terms of, uh, for Christians, in terms of exegesis or the or reading the Bible, is there may be two or three e- seemingly equal values or equal equally valuable interpretations of a given passage or a section, you know, a series of passages here. I think the chief adjudicator should be how these things play out. So when you're talking about some of the things that work in coaching. And I see some very similar goals. Like when we're talking about things like, um, what are you learning and who do you want to be? I mean, that is so fundamentally pivotal to a Christian perspective because God is not forcing us. Oh, but it, that, that's so, but when you say, who do we want to be? You can't ask that question. It's whatever the Bible and whatever your church says you're supposed to be. And if you're not being that, then, well, you're not good enough. But you've just shown here how that's a very individual, personal thing. Everybody has to say, has to answer that question. Yeah, but I feel like, I I don't know. I would feel like most Christians listening to this would be like, oh, no, we don't get to decide that. God does. Yeah, I bet most Christians. God makes the final call and all that stuff. We don't. That's arrogant, John. That's, you're self-deluding yourself. Where is this coaching thing taking you? Pause. Straight to hell. Pause. (laughs) I'm pausing you, man. But I think. I, my guess is, my hunch is, 95% of those Christians listening to that with this response also find baseball, their job, their co- their hobby, their summer vacation plans, or their volunteer work more interesting, more effective, more compelling, and more exciting than their, their, than their Christianity. So they have nothing to, stay, to say. They have no foot to stand on. Mm. And my hunches, the other five yes. percent might be like my uh, my my the, the local choir master says there are two people types of people in the world: those who like Abba, and those who claim not to. <laughs> 
I am dead serious. I do not believe that the type of perspective that is typically held that would allow people among Christians that would allow people to shoot back arrows at you is legitimate for the very reason that I don't think those people find their that that Christianity to be compelling, to be exciting, to be interesting, to even sometimes be relevant. And they're in there doing it because they think it's what they're supposed to do, because they think it's the key to get to heaven, quote unquote, to get out of hell, quote unquote. And that's the, 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 the sociology that they've got. It's a lot more about sociology and it's a lot more about fear than it has anything to do with the number one commandment, which is what? Loving God entirely. I don't think I see that very often because I don't see the fruits of it. I don't see churches filling with people. Right. Or where I do, sometimes it's totally warped like Mars Hill. And uh, I'm struggling for his name. Um, uh, Driscoll. Yes. These kind of domineering uh, um, power centric, uh, very vocal leaders who um, can essentially or people like Kyle Eidelman, right, who can get the try harder and the push harder um, uh, focus to uh, to ring in people's ears loudly enough that they think that that's the way to go, right? He's a, he's a big cheerleader for that, and so people are going to fall behind that cheerleader. But I still don't think that's that's something that most people find most of the time to be effective or to be engaging as Christians. So when, when you said a key trigger word there, I don't know if we want to go there. We've spent time on it, but the should word. Should mm. is often, at least in the work I'm, the recent work I've been doing, should is often a real, when that, like, in other words, so, you know, I'm talking with a, someone, I'll just make up a situation. Um, you know, I, I should be speaking at more conferences. Mm-hmm. And there's usually, so it's like, well, let's dig into that. Why should you be? Well, that's the way that you're supposed to you know, build a better audience or market mm. your new book or whatever. Do you want to speak mm. at conferences? Not really. Why not? It's just, I really enjoy doing this other thing more. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I have more engagement with the community of people that I work with there than I do in speaking at conferences. Well, why do you want to speak at a conference? What is, what is it about speaking at conferences? Well, you're supposed to. You should. I feel like I should. <laughs> and it, I don't know, so I hear the whole should thing in there too. In which regard? In what you were just mentioning, I think somewhere in there you mentioned, you know, you should be doing this, you should be doing these things. And and I want to call that out as whenever you're shooting on yourself or other people, it's usually not a very pleasant place to be. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, and I think that whole self-motivation piece is part and parcel of understanding ourselves as created beings. God has created us and, you know, if, from a Christian perspective, God has created us as human beings, with the drive and motivation to engage in love relationships based on truth. That's what humans primarily are to do. I mean, we eat, we sleep, we, et cetera. We survive, we subsist. But to thrive, to live fully, we are living within love relationships based on truth. And we are pursuing truth as informed by and oriented towards love. That's what we do. Love for life, love for enjoyment, love for others, love for ourselves. 
And so some of these orientations that um, I'm hearing in churches, uh, they simply don't give credit to the fact that people are geared that way. We believe this. God hasn't given this arbitrary, if you like, command. Love me. Love me much. But people like – but... <laughs> Go for it. Go for I've been, it. No, no, but I think that people believe that. And it's hard not to pick that up from the text, I think. I've been reading First John. Mm-hmm. And it's all about love and being commanded to love. Try it. <laughs> Try it. Well, I'm not saying it, work? it works, but it's in the Bible, so you're supposed to do it. No, but that's the point. It's in the Bible and we've misunderstood it. And when you take it out and you test drive the understanding we have and it, and it ends up in the ditch, you don't look around and go, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> you look around and say, I'm not supposed to be in the ditch. I'm in a car and it's supposed to be able to drive on the road. But every time I get on the road, the steering wheel is not reliable. The brakes don't work and the gas goes crazy. That's a scary car. Get out of it. Right? If, if, if being commanded to love God, if being commanded to muster up an emotional response to an entity or a being doesn't work, then maybe the idea is that's not what we're supposed to be doing, right? And and this, again, is one of those failings of the church. We've talked about this before, and I've put this out. Um, I I prefer, I vastly prefer uh, Paul Ricoeur's uh, interpretation of this notion, which is that it's a poetic, it's a poetic command. It's the command of love to one who is already in love to let your love reign. It's like, it's like, it's like a parent to a newborn child, right? My child is, has fallen or is injured. I'm tired. I've come, it's the end of a long work day. It's the middle of the night. It's something else. I don't want to do anything, but I go and I do it, right? And sometimes I do it because I tell myself it's the right thing to do. But there are other times where I just act. You know, you just act. Your love is itself a command to you. And I think that's the idea that we're looking for. But we've never been able, that I've seen in the Christian church, to broadly kind of formulate this. So, some of what you're doing here in coaching, the excitement that I see in it is it helps rule out as, you know, just not functional some of the ways that we have been interpreting the Bible. And I like what you said about muster. Like, when you're trying to, yeah, so it's, what was it? You know, I think you were saying something along the lines of, you know, we try to muster these things. Mm. And the other I think another key mustering technique is guilt. Yes. Yes. You know, guilt, fear. Uh, that's really, yeah. And so, yeah, that's something to think about too. When, when there's a lot of mustering going on to take a look, to take a look below the surface and say, what's going on here? Right. Why do we need to muster? Why do we need, why are we trying so hard to muster the troops here? Right. And I think it's also, it's tricky too, because you've got all these, on the one hand, there's this, you know, I should be in a love relationship. On the, on the other hand, there's this idea that it's true. And yet we've got all these people working at apologetics, trying to teach people how Christianity is true, but they're teaching Christians so that Christians can go out and tell other people, don't you know that already? 
how'd you get to be a Christian if you didn't think it was true? Now, I'm not saying that we can't Whoa, all that's a big from one. learning. It's huge. How did you, it's say that again. How did you get well, to Christian? How did you get to be a Christian in the first place if you didn't think it was true? So on the one hand, you know, it's, it's, it's always interesting to learn, to hear. Like I, 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 I have studied hermeneutics and I believe in the value of hermeneutics and I still get something, depending, on reading different people's takes on hermeneutical perspectives on this or that, right? I might not get very much because I already know it. But for someone that doesn't know what hermeneutics is, what is it? So it's the art, the art and practice or art and uh, science, if you like, of interpretation. It's how it's the orientations that we use and the practices we use, the orientations we have and the practices we use to interpret things better. But it applies to anything, right? But for me to make a commitment to being a Christian, I am supposed to, first of all, believe and I'm believing on the basis that I think it is true. And if I cannot communicate that at base in a way that at least makes sense to somebody else, I may not, I may not convince them, right? I could say, I don't know, something is true because some historical event is true because I have a record of it right here. And somebody might say, ah, yeah, I don't really, I know that author, I don't, who wrote that record that you've got there, that, that account, mm, I don't trust it. Oh, okay. But you're not confused about what I'm saying, right? You know that I'm, I'm presenting you evidence and you say, it's just not enough. But the whole idea that Christians need so much to develop apologetic schemes or plans or strategies is crazy to me. How did you get to be a Christian in the first place if you don't have enough of a grasp of the truth to have, had, to have convinced yourself? So what do you do with these stories of people? I mean, there's like the number of people that you've heard that like were at a Billy Graham crusade and they heard you know, Billy Graham present the gospel and they just had to get out of their seat and go down on that field and become a Christian. Okay, good for them. And you're not done. If you can't at least communicate to yourself why that was compelling and what was truthful about it to you, then I'll, I'll say something pretty strong, which is if it were me, I would at the end of the day probably say, I don't have a good enough reason to do this. I just did this because somebody emotionally mo motivated or manipulated me. If I can't give any content intellectually to it, and the intellectual content could be my emotions as well, right? I had an emotional response, but I should be able to spell out something that has some form of explanatory power, right? Doesn't mean that it's not explanatory if it doesn't convince somebody else but they need to at least understand it as, okay, so you're offering me some evidence. Uh, I don't entirely buy that. Or no, I don't agree. Or yeah, I'll think about that. But they're not totally like, they're not completely confused as to what you're doing. They're not thinking that, that has, that's irrelevant, right? Why did you become a Christian? Well, I was out on a Sunday and I was taking a walk. Huh? What, what does that have to do with being a Christian? Nothing. Right versus, well, someone presented me with some ideas that I was I've been thinking about the whole, um, I don't know the relationship between the type of things like the the values and the way that uh, the Christian Bible suggests that human relationships should run if they're going to work well, and what I've seen in my own life, and the way they presented it made a lot of sense because I've seen that a lot of my relationships that have gone right have really been 
I don't know, like almost modeled on this template of what a biblical um, perspective on, you know, healthy relationships is. And a lot of them that have gone wrong, I can see every single one of them. There's something missing in some of these characteristics. And that was really compelling to me. You know, and that might be an intro. I don't think that's enough to believe in Christianity, but it's enough to think about it. But things like that, right? I don't want to say to somebody, and I wouldn't want somebody to tell me, oh, I was out on a walk on a Sunday and I decided to become a Christian. Well, I don't know. Can you go out on a walk on a Sunday and decide to kill somebody or decide to become a baker or decide to go to London for your holidays? You know, so there's got to be a a sense to it. Okay. I don't know that. I I don't know. Well, the killing someone, I have a big problem with that in terms of of deciding to take a vacation or become a baker. um, I suppose what you're saying is that those those thoughts came from somewhere. In other words, something sparked that idea. It wasn't just this random. It wasn't just being on a walk. Like I was on a walk and I began to think about this and I began to consider this and different things that different people had said to me throughout the week kind of, um, crystallized and crystallized. And I was able to see them in a certain way. And I realized, you know what? I love baking. And here I am in this town and I've been bemoaning the fact that there's uh, no baker, there's no bakery and I've got this rental opportunity and I've got my brother-in-law who just said, you know, we just did a, a an auction. We've got an auction coming up on all this baking stuff and I, pff, I'm so annoyed. We're not going to be able to move this stuff at all. It's going to go for bottom basement price. Why don't I do this? Right? So that's the sort of logic versus you're leaving a ton of stuff out by saying I went for a walk on Sunday and decided to become a baker. But I think a lot of Christians do this. And if you go forward on a Billy Graham crusade, if you, whatever you do, do the due diligence for yourself of understanding and writing out, put it down on paper, explain to yourself why you've done what you've done. And it may be, you know, part of the, part of the, the potential fear in doing some of this is somebody's going to look at one, someone will do this for themselves, reflect upon what they've written and say, it's not very substantial. Okay then it's not very substantial. And it might not be enough for you to maintain a Christian belief. But you know what? The reality is, if it's not substantial enough, looking at it this way, highlighting that now, is a whole lot more effective than allowing time to go by. And it's just like the parable of the sower, right? Some seeds were scattered on the path. Some seeds were scattered in the thorns. Some seeds were scattered on the rock. Some seeds were scattered on the good ground. And I do think that we have the ability as people, this is again, coming back to personal choice and this whole trainer perspective and self-knowledge, the same thing with the coaching, pardon me, a coaching perspective. We have the ability to look at what we're doing as Christians, why we believe and say, you know what, this is a little uh, light. This is maybe a little flimsy. I may need to dig into this more. Yeah. And I want to bring, I, I think a great place to close, which I now get where you're wanting to go and I'm kind of, I don't know, answering my own question Mm. or, or I want to redouble down on a topic I mentioned somewhere along lines today, which was this notion of when something isn't working, Mm -hmm. raising it. Yes. And that's the genesis. I don't know the last two or three conversations that we've had, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is me saying to you, I don't know that I was saying that this isn't working when it comes to the podcast, but I was saying, eh, I don't know where this is going for me. I don't, in other words, mm-hmm. what I want to encourage other people out there is 
if you have a situation in your life that isn't working or it's not going in the direction you want it to, or the first step is to say something about it. Mm-hmm. Because yes. we wouldn't ha- be having this conversation we're having today if I had just kind of just like stuffed it down inside and just been like, well, hopefully someday it'll be different. Right. And if you say something about it, the response you should get is someone who's interested in listening to what you have to say. And able to consider it and take it in. And that's, I would say that's the beauty of, of our relationship is that you were able to hear me say, Hey, I don't know where this is going. My heart's not right in it right now. And instead of you having a big freak out and saying, Oh, but we have to, we should, we must. (laughs) You're like, tell me more about that. So yeah, yeah, find people. Yeah, my encouragement to others out there is, is find those people. And there, there's, I wouldn't say they're they're uh, they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're kind of hard to find. But find mm-hmm. those people that you can have the conversation with, the honest conversation that says, "This isn't working for me. This doesn't make sense. I don't know where this is going. I'm not satisfied." Yeah, I'm going through the motions. And you know what? It, and this is a great uh, opportunity for us to mention if you're a listener and you'd like to fire some of this stuff our way and get some feedback from us or even have us discuss something like this, um, whether in specific terms or generic terms, you can let us know how uh, specific you want us to be on the podcast. We're happy to do that. And right? I think that would be really uh, enliven this whole conversation because, man, I am, I am so – I know you don't feel – excited right now, John, but your lack of excitement is so exciting to me <laughs> just for these reasons we've laid out. I just think there's so much to dig into here. And I would no, just say I, to, go yeah, ahead. Well, finish your thought. Well, I would just say to anybody who's, who's, who's feeling similarly to the way John is that it's not only really valuable uh, for you to uh, mention when something's working, but like it's not really only really important, but I think it's valuable. People should see that. Those who listen to you should see that as valuable because it's 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 a movement towards transformation. It's saying, hey, I don't like where I'm at. I want more. I don't like what I'm doing here. I want things to be different, right? I want them to be better. Um, yeah, yeah, let me throw in a pro tip on that uh, on that vein. Do there's so. there's a big difference between expressing your dissatisfaction and making it really clear that you want something better Mm. than complaining. Mm. I don't know about you, but it's hard. (laughs) I have a very limited attention span when it comes to someone that just wants to just dump a bunch of stuff on me and complain. Right. There's a place and a time for, man, I am really discouraged about this situation or this person's really bugging me or I can't make any progress here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I would, my, my challenge would be spend a little time there, but spend mm-hmm. more time talking about what you're really looking for, where you want to get. And maybe if, if you're working with someone or a friend or co- whoever, it's how could you help me try to figure out how to get to this place that I want to get to versus getting stuck and mired in how frustrated and how bad the situation is and how it will never change. Right. Oh, and one other thing before we we close out here. I want to thank you, Greg, too, for your patience and your, I don't know, just kind of driving these conversations and just kind of your excitement, you're kind of leading the way. And 
yeah, that'll be interesting to see where this goes. Hey, you're welcome. I'm, I'm glad you've been willing to humor me on on my kind of, hey, this is a great opportunity. And you're like, where's the opportunity? <laughs> thank you. So yeah, I, I appreciate that. And yeah, thank you too. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Untangling Christianity podcast. A summary and resources for this episode are at our website, untanglingchristianity.com. If you'd like to join our private Facebook group or reach us by email, send your requests, questions, or even a simple hello to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is provided by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license.